0: it all on yeah what it is is what it is and tonight in just a few seconds if you can wait because i can't what it is what it is, is, is what it, is, 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 what it is. is what it is
1: what up what up fight fans welcome back to episode 196 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Vin?
0: What's going on, brother? The uh, first half of the bracket for heavyweight March Madness delivered in a major way last night.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Wilder versus Ortiz was all that and then some. Oh, indeed, my friend. I, just the heavyweight division, when it's... When it's clicking like it is right now, it just makes the entire sport better. I don't, I don't care who you are.
1: Absolutely, and that's just the first half, like you said. Because Anthony Joshua versus Joseph Parker is coming right down the line. Yeah,
0: I, I cannot wait, man.
1: Well, welcome back to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. You are joined every week by Vince Cummings and Kenny Keith. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play. Be sure to subscribe to the Boxing Rant youtube channel follow us on twitter at vince cummings 81 and at kenny keith jr then let's get right down to the post fight from this past saturday night march 3rd on episode 196 of the tale of the tape boxing podcast it was showtime from the barclays center deontay wilder defended his wbc heavyweight title against king kong luis ortiz then what else is there to say about this fight other than man drama 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 and I loved every second of it.
0: Are you not entertained? It <laughs> was good shit, it man. It was, man. It was and, and just the fact that, you know, the, the it, when it's in the, when it happens in the heavyweight division and the, and the drama involves these big guys and 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 the power punching that comes with the heavyweight division, there's just something extra. I mean, I'm watching that fight I'm fucking yelling and screaming, amped up from the fifth round all the way to the end in the 10th. You don't get that. I don't get that same feeling anyways when I'm watching a welterweight fighter and watching a middleweight fight. Yeah, I love all boxing. But when it comes down to it and it's the heavyweight division and you're getting that entertainment value that we got last night, it's, it's the best, man. I don't care what anybody says.
1: Yeah, just the level of of power. And, and theatrics that comes with having two giants in the ring yep. together. Yep. Um, you know, I think that's what it boils down to. And in this case, you had the very first test for a guy um, in the WBC heavyweight champion, Deontay Wilder, who has had a pretty long career so far. I mean, you're talking about a guy with 40 fights. Yeah. You know, and for him to actually be able to come in seven times he defended his WBC heavyweight championship belt. I can't
0: believe that.
1: Shit. And had yet to be in the ring with a guy that was a formidable threat. Um, there was a lot of things in the lead-up to this fight, from Wilder coming in at 214 to Luis Ortiz coming in at 241 to this speculation of Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua looking past these dangerous opponents and Luis Ortiz and Joseph Parker um, You know, seemingly heading uh, on a beeline for one another. But you know what? In reality, even though all the storylines did a good job of twisting you the fuck up before this fight started, oh yeah. Um, once it did, it was very clear uh, what was going on. Luis Ortiz came out early in this fight, Vin, and controlled it. Um, his timing, his ability to counter punch. He actually was fighting at a close enough distance where Deontay Wilder couldn't extend that right hand. He made Wilder think when he did throw the right hand by countering it very, very quickly. Um, especially in the first two rounds, Luis Ortiz was doubling and tripling up the jab. Things were going in his favor. I mean, I had the fight scored 4 nothing for King Kong Ortiz uh, after the fourth round. But then came the fifth round. Man. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just, uh, you know, he unloads a right hand, and that's all it takes. It's just, if you're not, if you have a lapse in judgment, for just a split second against Wilder, you know, everybody's going to question his skills. I'm still going to question his skill level after this fight, and, and and that's fine, I you know. Obviously, you watch him and you go, how the fuck is this guy 40-0 with 39 knockouts? But he's just, he's got this uncanny ability to unload at the right time, and he's, he's the heaviest puncher in boxing. Pound for pound, I don't care what anybody says, a right hand from Deontay Wilder has got to be the most feared punch in the sport. Oh, dude, it's devastating. Uh, I, I mean, he's, he's annihilating guys with it. And, again, last night, and, and you know, you, you said it, Ortiz was up 4-0. You know, those those cards from the judges coming out after that fight are complete buckets. Oh, they were garbage. Uh, how do you give Wilder two of the first four rounds when he might have thrown 25 punches in the first four rounds? Maybe. Uh, you know, the, the Southpaw style of Ortiz kind of hindered uh, Wilder's ability to use his jab to kind of control distance like he normally does. and That's even more of a reason to give Wilder respect. I mean, not only was it a challenge and his first you know real test as a, as a heavyweight champion, but it was against a crafty southpaw fighter that made things very difficult for him. He didn't get frustrated. He stayed patient. And when the time came, he unloaded and landed the shot when he needed to land it.
1: Yeah. And, and and honestly, I mean, even though this thing ended up going into the 10th round, um, you know, if if that right hand in the fifth round didn't land as late in the round as it did, um, I think Ortiz was in deep trouble. He got saved by the bell at oh. the end of the fifth and he was able to recover and he came in and he looked really, really sharp. And then the seventh round, I mean, Luis Ortiz had um, Deontay Wilder on the ropes, literally throwing multi punch combinations, landing you know, huge shots mixed in. Wilder's ability to uh, survive the seventh round, which was a clear 10-8 round for Luis Ortiz, evening out that knockdown that he suffered in the fifth round. I have to give Wilder so much credit for the heart that he showed in that round. Now, granted, did the eighth round look a lot like the round after Vladimir Klitschko? hit Anthony Joshua with that fucking thunderous straight right hand yeah. that you thought Joshua was toast and the old man couldn't seal the deal. The same exact thing happened. And I think kind of going into that 10th round, both guys were tired. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure how tired they were, but I will say this about how the fatigue affect Luis Ortiz. And I honestly felt that he wasn't gassed to the point where, you know, he, he, He couldn't do anything. No, he was still able to throw punches, and he still had some decent zip on his punches. But where the fatigue affected Ortiz, which ended up setting his head on a platter for a right hand, uh, a couple of right hands in that 10th round, was he was not able to avoid standing stationary in the middle of the ring. He wasn't able to slip to the left. He wasn't able to counter... One of those shots, and and to be honest, he wasn't in as close range as he was earlier in the fight when he was avoiding the right hand. He was right at the perfect distance for Wilder, and that little bit of fatigue kept his head right there for Wilder to land the punch when he needed it the most.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, credit to you know I, I not a man to give Pauly Malinaji credit, but he called it right uh, from about the fifth round on, and that fight was. Wilder was backing up too much uh, instead of standing his ground and countering Ortiz. And when he finally did, that's when he he gained a, little, a bit of more of control in the fight. And when they got in these exchanges, Wilder, you know, as awkward and, and as un, uh, the, the, the level of boxing technique in these combinations between the exchanges with, with both of them, they weren't very pretty but Wilder was able to land in those situations when Ortiz would just, he'd miss just a little bit. Now, he did catch him, you know, when he hurt him in the, it was the fifth round, right? Yeah. With with the right hook. When they both landed at the same time, a couple times in that fight, you almost had a a Rocky two moment where they both both landed huge shots and were both hurt. And I thought it was funny in the fifth round, you kind of noticed in the slow-mo video, Ortiz is hurt from the right hand. He gets caught with, but then he kind of looks and sees, oh, shit. My right hook hurt that motherfucker. Let me go in on this bitch right now. <laughs> it, it was kind of funny. Look, man, I, you know, you had people. And another funny thing about that was, you know, the, coming out for the sixth round when the when the referee kind of stops Wilder and, and calls the, the doctor up on the ropes and everybody's like, what are they checking for a cut for? He's not cut. It's not that he was cut. It's that he was fucked up. He got up off the stool and did not look like he was all there. He sent the he sent the doctor up to to look at the guy's eyes and make sure that is somebody home. Are you going to not get killed this round?
1: Yeah, he reminded me of driving by like a chicken coop. <laughs> you know, right. and all the chickens are inside the fence. And then there's this one that got out and he's just <laughs> freaking wandering, just, just strutting, you know, bobbing his head. Right. Baby, and you're like, where the fuck is he going? That's kind of how Wilder came out of that corner. Yeah. Um, and no folks, it was not three seconds. That was a good 30 second courtesy that the referee gave him right there and the insect. But let's be honest. They seemed confused all night.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they did.
1: <laughs> oh man. But um, look, Deontay Wilder, Um, you know, people want us to be like, huh? Oh, it's time for you to give him credit. Start eating some humble pie. Look, here's the deal, man. If you haven't been listening to this show for longer than three or four episodes, you don't know that all of the criticism that we give the sort of unorthodox methods of Deontay Wilder. We also applaud and credit how much we enjoy watching this guy fight. I'm sorry. If, 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 that, if that triggers you, yes, there are people out there that can see Deontay Wilder for what he is in a positive light and the things that we'd rather not see. I mean, there's, there's too many things about this guy. Um, you know, you can't get hung up on it. The fact of the matter is he has something um, that very few have ever been birthed with that have been gifted um, coming out of the womb. And this is a thunderous, thunderous right hand. And I agree with what you said in the opening remarks, Ben. It may be uh, the most devastating punch in boxing right now. And after this fight,
0: I'm certainly a believer in it. Yeah, and and look, every question that you wanted to have answered about Wilder was answered last night. He took punishment. I mean, Ortiz landed four, five clean, flush shots in that fifth round. He got outboxed. Yeah. (laughs) you got to give him credit for holding on and for a guy that's never really been – I mean, he's been buzzed before – but this, he was seriously buzzed. He was out on his feet. But to have the wherewithal to grab and clutch and hold and give yourself just the extra couple seconds and make it to the end of that round, that not every fighter does that. That's instinctual at that point in time. You're not, you're out on your feet, you know. You never know how you're going to react. We saw a guy who fucking dug deep, man. I mean, dug real deep. I, I thought for sure after that fifth round, I said, man, this this thing's over. This thing's over in the next two rounds. Uh, And the guy was able to survive, work his way through it, and and drop the man two more times and finish the fight. What this fight does for Wilder, it didn't give him any more leverage in negotiations or or moving forward with a possible Joshua fight. But what it did do is it made that fight, it brought that fight a little, like, before uh, last night you probably would have said, what, 90% of people would pick Anthony Joshua to beat Wilder right now. I think after that, after that fight last night, you're going to have a few more people questioning whether, you know, the quickness and, and and snap of a Wilder right hand landing on Joshua's chin is that, you know, the chances of that happening are now greater and the chances of him possibly being able to survive an onslaught from Joshua a little bit better. I think everybody before last night would have said Joshua lands one right hand and that Wilder's fucking done.
1: I don't even think of, yeah, well, before the fight, for sure. But I don't even think it would. I mean, really, for me, it's just simple. Like, you know, I I said some pretty definitive remarks as it pertained to a Wilder-Joshua matchup and who I liked. Yes, I think Anthony Joshua knocks out Deontay Wilder. But I don't think it necessarily comes on one punch. Here's the deal. If Wilder comes in at 214 pounds against Anthony Joshua, he's probably going to weigh 250. I mean, this is a different kind of 250 pounds than Luis Ortiz's 241. Right. Let's be completely honest. But like you said, it, it it is the thing that makes this fight so intriguing. You have a guy in Deontay Wilder with that reach, with that right hand, six foot seven. Anthony Joshua, six foot five, 245, 250 pounds, a behemoth. It doesn't matter, Deontay Wilder can erase whatever deficit he has on paper or in the first few rounds during the fight with one right hand. Last night, he proved to me that at any point in the fight with Anthony Joshua, he can take Joshua out. That doesn't mean I'm still going to pick him because I am going to pick Joshua still. I'm not not picking my round yet, but I think he stops Deontay Wilder. But I tell you what... (laughs) Dante Wilder doesn't have to do shit before he lands that right no, hand because he, he didn't do shit in this fight before he landed it. <laughs> he
0: don't have to throw any punches for five six rounds. He doesn't have to land anything significant. <laughs> one right hand is all it takes, and you, there's just not very many fighters out there that possess that ability to change a fight with one punch. Uh, it and it's just it's fucking uncanny coming from a guy with these fucking chicken legs. Uh, you know, like no base t- from which to the, to bring the power from to start with. It's just these this quick twitch, athletic, fucking sharp, straight right hand, and he's accurate as hell with it, man. And if Klitschko was able to land a right hand at forty one years old, uh, I, I have to think that at some point Wilder's going to land a right hand. And, and, and you know what type of damage it does. Does he punch harder than Klitschko? Yeah. He at least punches as hard. You're talking about a 41-year-old Klitschko. Maybe a prime Klitschko hit harder.
1: Uh, probably flatlines Joshua with that right hand.
0: But you're, you're talking about a guy right now in, in Wilder who, I'm sorry, it just takes one, baby. It just takes one.
1: Look, and that's where I think, like, Luis Ortiz, I thought early on in the fight... Uh, was taking a ton of risk any time he would get Deontay Wilder into the corner. Because you could see Wilder sitting back on the ropes, just, just sizing it up, that right hand completely cocked. And I really think that's the difference in the Joshua Wilder fight when it does happen later on this year, fingers crossed, is that when Joshua gets Wilder against the ropes, that's the biggest difference. Anthony Joshua can unload a very, very powerful multi-punch barrage when he's in close. We've seen him do it to stationary targets. Right. If he gets close enough, he nullifies Deontay Wilder's power. He's just got to get through it. He's got to get past that line of scrimmage. That's it. Mm-hmm. If he can get inside the range of that extended right hand, Anthony Joshua
0: wins the fight. Yeah, look, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and argue with anybody as to whether Joshua wins. I, I would pick him right now to win that fight. Um, I just think the fight became a lot more interesting after last night that these questions have been answered.
1: Where's the fight happen, Vin? People say it has to happen in Vegas. People say it should be
0: in the UK. Dude, it it happens wherever the most money is. And I think that goes for, you know, whether Joshua's the A-side or not, if Vegas puts up the cash... Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua will come over here and make the fight. And it's not like they're at some serious disadvantage in Vegas if they go. Wilder's not established Vegas fighter. He doesn't have a huge fan base. The U.K. fans will fucking travel in hordes over here to see that fight. There will be more Anthony Joshua fans in any arena in the United States than there would be Deontay Wilder fans. Either way, is it probably going to end up at Wembley Stadium and in the U.K.? Sure. that I guess that makes the most sense. And Wilder's calling the shots, obviously. Um, excuse me, Joshua's calling the shots in these negotiations. So if he wants it there, he gets it there. I'm kind of interested to see how these negotiations go. And, and you know, you had Shelly Finkel last night after the uh, fight come up and and read a little email that he had from Eddie Hearn from back in November about you know preliminary numbers and negotiations and gain profit and loss talking, having the fight in the UK and Las Vegas and. Finkel basically at the end of reading this email was like, we haven't heard one word from them since this email. He's like, he said, they have no desire to make this fight right now. He's, I'm not going to say they're ducking us, but they have no interest in making this fight. And apparently they're, they're ready to do it right now. And Finkel made it very clear that uh, this is what we want next. We don't want anything else, but you hear Eddie Hearn talking about Jarrell Miller and then you've got uh, Tyson Fury. He's coming back, Ken. The mark is back. <laughs> he's going to slag all these wee cunts. Anthony Joshua. He's going to get fucking knocked out. Deontay Wilder. You're a cunt. I'll fucking beat your ass. I'll knock you out. <laughs> I can't oh. take any more. I cannot take any more of this. It's like, dude, what? Did, have you smoked... 8 million <laughs> cartons of cigarettes. It sounds like it. What is the fucking deal? Can somebody get an answer from this man as to why he sounds like he's got dried cum in the back of his throat when he's fucking talking? He probably does. Hell, uh, Tyson Fury here. <laughs> the mock is back in. he's back. Jesus.
1: Oh man. <clears throat> well, look, if it, if it happens next, um, great. I, I look, Deontay Wilder needs to continue this momentum. If it, takes going to the UK, a right hand from Anthony Joshua is just as devastating in the United Kingdom as it is the United States. Now, there's also the people that are saying that, well, maybe even though a gate at Wembley would probably cover the cost of whatever Vegas would put up, you know what I mean? Um, That possibly he would be willing to forego that little bit of cheddar on top to come to the United States and make a name for himself because of Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder fight on Showtime pay-per-view from Las Vegas, and Anthony Joshua knocks him out. Dude, people are going, Anthony Joshua is going to soar to the heights that we have not seen in the heavyweight division out of the U.K. since Lennox Lewis, let's be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, he'll be the first guy, you know, obviously Mayweather transcended and Pacquiao, to a certain extent, transcended the sport. But I think if Joshua comes to the United States, knocks out Deontay Wilder in, in convincing fashion, I, I think you've got the first true crossover superstar in the sport of boxing in a long time. Yeah, I, I get it. Mayweather was like that, but not a heavyweight. Yeah, not a heavyweight. And you you could only put Mayweather out there so much. The guy's a little, he's got a little bit of a dicey past. He's <laughs> not, he's not somebody the sport can really be proud of to have as their figurehead. Whereas it's a completely different story with Anthony Joshua or Wilder. Should Wilder beat him?
1: Well, it's, the you know, one of the reasons why, uh, uh, you know, Floyd Mayweather never had any endorsements. <laughs> right. Nobody would endorse him. Why would you? You know what I mean? He's I mean, fucking
0: toxic, man. He,
1: he was his own business. He was his own brand. And it was enough to command, as has been the history of boxing and the biggest, uh, you know, uh, superstars and the b- most lucrative fighters at the gate always have a checkered past. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Anthony Joshua brings a different element to it. I, you know, I think being a heavyweight takes it to a completely different level um it doesn't matter if anthony joshua makes as much money as floyd mayweather i would assume if there was one fighter one athlete alive today that has the potential to surpass floyd mayweather's earning potential it would be anthony joshua i mean look how young this guy is right yeah i mean look we're gonna get into previewing the fight when and if it's ever announced but i'm telling you right now just like we saw Luis ortiz on the cusp of upsetting Deontay Wilder last night, mm-hmm. Joseph Parker possesses the same ability um, to be the upstart in a fight against Anthony Joshua. So let's everybody just take pause for one second.
0: Yeah, look, he's got a tough fight ahead of him on March 31st, and I'm one of those people that's been uh, been on record as saying Joseph Parker gives Anthony Joshua all kinds of trouble if, if he doesn't weigh 245 pounds and look like a fat out-of-shape piece of shit like he did in his last fight.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's going to have to show up, uh, you know, much more serious. There's no doubt about it. But, I mean, let's be honest. He hasn't been – look, Joseph Parker's had a nice development through his career. Um, He's been fighting top ten guys for quite a while now. You know what I mean? Yeah. At a very young age. Um, But this is something completely different. Um, And, look, and that's why we have great filler in the lead-up to March 31st because there's a bunch of good fights left on the docket and much, much more coming down the line. I don't know if this was fight of the year. I will say this, at the end of the year, this will probably be one of my favorite fights of the year for sure. But as it stands today, yeah, I guess it's fight of the year. It's hard to say that considering the lack of skill that came from Deontay Wilder. But does his lack of skill sort of counterbalance that one-punch knockout threat?
0: Yeah, it's it's a tough call. I mean, entertainment value-wise, this has been the best fight so far. Absolutely. No, No doubt about it.
1: Well, then, I guess on that note, Ven, let's go ahead and transition into this, uh, you know, this co-main, Andre Durrell versus Jose Uskatagi Again, uh, dude, you know it's like every single time a fighter who we think we have their name pronounced um, makes it into a main event on on HBO or Showtime, then all of a sudden we get a complete correction on how to pronounce
0: the name. It fucking kills me, man. <laughs> I am like, what the hell? Can we can we just stick with something? Would you? All right. It was kind of guy.
1: Yes. Right. Um, Andre Durrell coming into this thing, man. Look, I know that we were, you know, pretty cavalier um, with our sentiments towards Andre Durrell. I mean, let's be honest. We've been talking about the desire and just the deep down dedication to the sport of boxing that the Durrell brothers have had um, for the last four or five years. Yeah. And Andre Durrell coming into this fight. What I found hilarious at 34 years old, a guy that was clearly defeated is always looking for a backdoor out of every situation he involves himself in. Paulie Malignaggi comes out the gate talking about his fucking athletic prowess and how he is just such a specimen and how his ability and his his quick twitch and he's just a natural athlete. All I saw was an old, over-the-hill, disinterested, a little bit scared to be in the ring fighter who was throwing hellacious fucking rapid fire, um, you know, Neo in the Matrix, one punch combinations. <laughs> I mean, dude, the one punch combination of Andre Durrell, he has to be, and this is all sincerity, he has to be the greatest one-punch combination fighter in the history of boxing, wouldn't you say? You get no argument here, my friend. (laughs) I mean, come on, dude. Look, Uscada guy, I love his quirkiness. His assertiveness, he knew coming right out the gates. (laughs) There is nothing to worry about with Andre Durrell. But what I did find a little bit curious was the um the cranberry juice in the in the piss before the fight? Yeah, what the hell was that Durrell all? The was trying to get out of that shit. he he doing stare he no his blood was fucking I mean his piss was bloody. You see it?
0: That's cranberry juice, man. <laughs> oh, what a weird I'd never, you know, you, you think you've seen everything in boxing and that happens last night. I'm like, "What the fuck is going?" What are they sending it out to a let's send it down the street to a lab real quick and get a <laughs> <laughs> Once we get something back, we'll let it go, I, you know.
1: What Ryan? aid would say. <laughs> <laughs> you get that sample back from CVS?
0: Oh, man, it was uh, so funny. Uh, it was kind of guy completely outclassed Darrell, and, and I think the, the you know, uh, you got to be careful in saying, but the, the performance that he put on last night, you know, whether Darrell is past it and, and is, a, is a shot fighter and can't pull the trigger, which is what it appeared last night, uh, the, the just the dismantling of him. Uh, we haven't seen anybody take apart Darrell like that in eight, nine rounds and just completely outclass him. Normally, Darrell is able to survive a- and win a few rounds just based on his athletic ability and his quick jab. And every once in a while, a one-two, can <laughs> There is a two behind that one every once in a while. Only twice. <laughs> and, and last night, he just... Uh, He took his heart, dude. Yeah. You know, it's over for him at the top level. It is. It is, and it has been since uh, Frotch put a hurting on him. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's true, man. Um, Andre Durrell versus Jose Oskata guy. I can guarantee you the finalists at the World Boxing Super Series 168 tournament are glad that this feller ain't involved. Could you imagine if Gilberto Ramirez... Jose Uscada and David Benavidez were in this tournament. I mean, dude, not only would it have made the tournament much deeper in the pool of fighters, but geez, yeah. George Groves, Chris Eubank, Callum Smith, dude, I they would have been first, f-
0: the first round eliminated, eliminated. <laughs> yes. All, at- all three of them are, are clearly the top three at 168. And last night, Uscada made it clear that he is a player up there. And I think a fight with. Him or Ramirez or Benavidez is a, I mean, that's a fucking showstopper right there. That's a thats a great fight.
1: Well, it's time to bid farewell to uh, one Andre Durrell. Yeah, see ya. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, time to switch gears from Showtime um, to the Dueling Fight Cards in New York City. It was on HBO Madison Square Garden Theater Sergey Kovalev defended his WBO 175 pound title against Igor McCulkin, Dmitry Bivol versus Sullivan Brer for the WBA light heavyweight title. Um, the crusher back in action against Igor McCulkin. Vin, I think it's pretty simple. McCulkin didn't have any power. Um, and Kovalev, you know, regardless of what you think about McCulkin or how the fight went, um, exploded the guy's face with uh, <laughs> some some impressively solid punching and I will say this it was a good opportunity for for Kovalev to continue to work on some of the things that I've been noticing since he's left John David Jackson and that is implementing um, different angles different shots mixing in hooks with the straight punches that I do like and maybe that will prepare him for the young guns like Dimitri Bivol Um, I thought Kovalev looked sharp you know, he got hit a little bit, but honestly, man, he's still got some thunder at the end of those punches. Yeah,
0: the crusher can still crush. That's what you get out of last night. I mean, you know, we all knew what the outcome was going to be. We we knew at some point he was going to drop and stop McCalkin, but, you know, it, it's it's a reminder uh, once again that, look, you know, say what you want to say about the Bevols and, and the Berturbiev's of the world. Right now, on paper, Kovlev's still the best at 175 pounds period, and he reiterated it last night to everybody, you know, I, I say what you want, you know about the ward fights and, and and what's happened in his career over the last two years. The guy is still the best at light heavyweight period.
1: You know, I, you know, regardless if you put stock into pound for pound ratings or not, Dude, Ring Magazine still has the Crusher ranked number fourth pound for pound in the world. Do they really? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, we know uh, some of the members of the voters on that staff. We gotta, you gotta take that with a grain of salt, sir.
1: Well, yeah, that's true. But even so, I think he's still number four. <laughs> I'm just trying to fucking reaffirm what I was feeling, Vin.
0: These are my feelings. I got you, buddy. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, so, yeah, the Crusher does the deal. Um, defends a WBO light heavyweight championship. We'll get back to the Crusher in a minute. In the co-feature, it was another 175-pound contest. Dimitri Bivol versus Sullivan Barrera as Bivol defended his WBA light heavyweight title. Vince, for me in this fight, it was very... Um, it was a surgical performance by Dimitri Bivol.
0: Yeah, uh, th- this kid's skill level is impressive and his ability to kind of the way he's able to work in and out of range and punch and get out and get back in and his timing at doing that. It it it's kind of Kovalev-esque at times, but I think he's a little bit more of a pure puncher and a you know, he, he's not as doesn't work in quite as straight lines as Kovalev does at some at at points in fights. I mean, this kid is just super fucking impressive, man. Uh, to completely outclass a guy like Sullivan Barrera, who is a top-notch, top-five light heavyweight in the world, and, and just batter and beat him for, uh, for 11, 12, for 12 rounds, period, and, and drop him, I mean, that's very, very fucking impressive, man.
1: Look, you spoke about the heavy-handedness of 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 Dimitri Bivol, and I know that this comparison might throw... Some of our listeners off a bit, but truth be told, the fighter that Dimitri Bivol reminds me of the most as it pertains to the ability to mix his punches up and to be as heavy handed with the left and the right hand as he is with all the variety of punches that boxers throw very similar to me. To Errol Spence I mean there is something comparable between the two of these guys where regardless of what range they're at regardless of what you're doing offensively they have a punch that is equally as powerful to deal with you on any quadrant of your of your body that they're aiming for
0: yeah you know the way he kind of mixes in he mixes and it almost, I did notice some patterns in the combinations from him last night, but when they work they work. And the way he's able to one-two and then step back in and throw a left hook, it, the guy puts punches together nicely. You know, I'm not ready to say he's the best at light heavyweight. Some are willing to say that now. He's he's still, you know, that's a career-defining win for him. But, I, I you know, I, I'm going to need to see it against somebody one step better than Sully B, because when Sully B's fought the best, he struggled. And He He, struck, he has not struggled as much as he did last night against b against other guys, but you know, I, I still – I, I got to be convinced one more time against – and it's going to have to come against a guy like Kovalev. I'm not so sure Kovalev and Kathy Duver are that interested in making that fight anytime soon. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe they're not. Um, I Look, I hope they are. They're talking about Joe Smith already. Well, look uh, – What are we doing here? I mean, I, I understand you got to rebuild the psyche of the crusher after – Two defeats that kind of fucked with his head, fucked with his head a little bit, and the situation he came out of with with John David Jackson and that whole bit surrounding that fight. But okay, this two fights, you know, you you rebuild his confidence, I would think. After this win, uh, you know, can we speed this process along here?
1: Yeah, look, look, there's there there's also another side of this thing, and this is something that people are not talking about. That before this card was made. The original headliner for this card was Sergey Kovalev versus Sullivan Barrera, and Barrera turned the fight down and took the Bivol fight
0: for less money, which is very strange. So,
1: so that there's something to be said there, okay? Because as impressive as Beval has looked, okay, as it, it, you know, as well put together as he is, and as as heavy handed as he is. Why didn't Barrera take the fight where he could make the most money if Kovalev is as vulnerable as they say? There's something to be said about the fact that Bivol, and and no disrespect to Sullivan Barrera because I think he's great, Bivol has never been in the ring with a guy who can punch like Sergey Kovalev. And that's the thing. You can look as heavy-handed and impressive and well put together as, as can be. One of those straight right hands comes right down the middle of the pipe. When you're coming in aggressive like that, I'm sorry. It's lights out. There's something to be said about why Sullivan Barrera turned down the Kovalev. And I don't want to fight in the main event. Give me this guy who's perceived to be the most dangerous.
0: Yeah, uh, very, very odd decision, I, you know, especially financially. I I, I just don't get it. In my eyes, they had to be thinking that Barrera thought, I can beat this kid, and I'll fight Kovalev next for bigger money. That hey, that had to be the thinking. It's uh, wishful thinking. They, they misjudged that one big time. <laughs> big time. Oh,
1: man. Look, uh, to be continued, um, we'll see what happens with the 175-pound division. Uh, uh, Artur Baterbiev. Has flown the coops. He has escaped prison. Yeah. Um, he is out of the PBC and is signed with uh, old Honest Bob over
0: at top rank. Yeah, but he's got some issues to settle in court before anything fucking happens. I, there's there's nothing on the fr- uh, horizon for him right now. Settle, schmettle, <laughs> Um
1: All right. So that'll do it from the MSG Theater, New York, New York, March 3rd on HBO. And actually, um, one last note before we get into... Uh, um, you know, the second half of this show, Vin. I just, it has to be said, this has been the common topic on all the boxing podcasts and it's just been gaining momentum in the Twitterverse. Let me ask you one question.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What the fuck are Peter Nelson and Max Kellerman up to? All I envision is like a bed that's like three times the size of a king size bed, <laughs> right? with some kind of, like, royal tapestry hanging over it, silk sheets. You know what I mean? And 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 the camera zooms in, and underneath the silk sheets you see, you know, uh, bodies and, 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 and limbs moving around, and you think, oh, oh, this is about to get good. They're about to pull back the sheets. <laughs> and then they do, and as they pull back the sheets, you see Peter Nelson and Max Kellerman, one on each side of Andre Ward.
0: <laughs> it's gotten so fucking bad, man. Max, it's like, hey, guy, you know, you get up in the ring and your first fucking question to Kovalev after the fight is, would you want a trilogy with Andre Ward? Is he fucking lost? He is. I, I, I He just cannot help but interject his fucking gay lover into the conversation and into every conversation. It could be a fucking featherweight fight. Somehow, Andre Ward will break its way into the conversation of... He's kind of uh, this guy dominates the division the way Andre Ward did. He's a special fighter like Andre Ward is shut the fuck up already, please.
1: Dude, it was it was so hard to deal with listening to this last night. I usually mute it, but I really needed to see like at what level this thing has has grown Um I think Max Kellerman is completely and utterly lost and he's lost the fucking audience because unfortunate for him the boxing community is small enough <laughs> and let's be honest HBO's boxing community is getting smaller and smaller yeah. every fucking day right yep. so the people that are still that still have their HBO subscriptions that 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 just subscribe for boxing that number has dwindled big time because the the amount of fights that HBO has put out has dwindled so much, people have canceled their subscriptions. So those that are still dialed in are the most diehard. The guys like you and I that don't just have HBO for Game of Thrones, but they have it specifically for boxing. And now, since that's the only audience that old fucking Pete the Poet and his fucking and his boy toy Max Kellerman have left. Dude, it's gotten to the point where it's almost like they are speaking a completely different language. And you got Lampley in the middle of it just trying to uh, use his uh, sort of equity he's built in the sport to drown out all of this fucking nonsense that's encroaching on common sense. Max defies all odds. He
0: does. Uh, And look. That whole, to me, that whole HBO broadcast team, and I, and I will give Andre Ward credit. I actually think as a color man during the fights, he's actually pretty good. It You get, you know, an inside look and you get that, the knowledge of a boxer who can explain to you exactly what's going on and some small things that you or me may not catch with our eye because we're not professional fighters, but he will point it out. That type of shit's good, but other than that it seems like the whole fucking hbo boxing they're just like going through the fucking motions it's boring it's bland it's blah you know as much as i maro ronaldo with his fucking you know his comic book fucking compare he's he's he's, using, he's he's using his right hand like the hammer of thor and ragnarok him ken just you know that shit is so over the top and gay but at least it has something to do with the fight right at least there's some emotion there. You know, is it over the top and annoying at times? Absolutely. But don't, I mean, this so fucking, the bland delivery and the bland product that has been HBO, I mean, they are just, dude, they're getting fucking lapped by everybody in boxing. ESPN, Showtime, the WBSS, Box Nation, Sky Sports, and none of these are that great. But HBO has been so fucking bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, Max Kellerman is like, you know, a guy on a book tour who's like reciting lines from a book that hasn't been written yet. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's just like rambling on and on and on. But he has to because his boss, his publisher, Pete Nelson, says stick with the story, the narrative. What we're going to bring back to the sport of boxing is some poetry, some backstory, some narrative. We are going to paint the lives and the loves and the loss of all these fighters into a great epic program. Unfortunately, Pete, while as romantic as that sounds, (laughs) the truth of the matter is you're a day late and a dollar short. That would have been great when your fucking coffers were filled with a wide range of talented boxers. But now you're trying to implement something that would work well in a world of two hundred fighters that are going back and forth in round robin style, but no, you have fewer fighters than HBO has ever had, outside of a few marquee names, and all your fights are lopsided mismatches. You sound like the PBC. You have
0: Golden Boy and Eddie Hearn. That's all they have right yes, now. Yes,
1: you sound like the PBC. Yeah, it, 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 your stories don't lead to anything. It's like reading a
0: book that doesn't have an ending. It's one of those books where you pick your own ending. Ken and Max, oh. Max Kellerman guides you through it.
1: <sighs> man, <laughs> well, you know what, man? I am a huge fan of Max Kellerman.
0: Uh, you always have been. Yeah, I've I'm, always, I've always said if there has ever been a guy to fully appreciate what Max Kellerman, you know, gives us as boxing fans, it's been you. Thank you, thank <laughs> you.
1: Um, look, but the truth is, is that. HBO needs to get back to the roots and that doesn't mean digging up old corpses and and digging skeletons out of the ground. No, I'm not saying that, but they have to remove Max from the equation. You have the boxing analyst in Andre Ward that is developing nicely, right? This guy has great uh you know perspective on the on 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 the sport. Sometimes mix in you know, one or two other. I love Bernard Hopkins, even though he's a promoter for Golden Boy. You know, Roy Jones Jr. Sprinkle these guys in. You get rid of Max and add a legitimate journalist back to the equation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Honesty. Somebody that can tell stories from a perspective of truth and not shilling.
0: Well, good luck with that. HBO is just not going to fucking do it. I don't see Kellerman going anywhere. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Strap in, Ken. No.
1: Pete? And Max, strap on. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: All right. Um, you know, look, let's move into a little bit more controversy. This is just a bizarro world to me, man. On Mar- uh, March 1st on BN Sports Español from Tokyo, Japan, it was Luis Neri versus Shinseki Yamanaka for the WBC Bantamweight Championship. Look, their first fight, um, you know, not too long ago, uh, you know, Luis Neri ends up, you know, popping for steroids after he just fucking destroys Yamanaka right yeah. and it's like okay this guy you know well, pisses hot and he uses the old Eric Morales excuse and says oh no it was the carne asada
0: <laughs> the carne asada had steroids in it i've been eating a lot of carne asada i i don't notice any steroids
1: <laughs> it
0: makes my belly grow that's what steroids
1: <laughs> yeah, do yeah these these bitch tits that are growing on me must be full of estrogen <laughs> Um, but then they allow this thing to run back. Okay. Then fucking Louie Neary comes in. Not only was he overweight for the Bantamweight division, he was overweight for the fucking <laughs> super Bantamweight division, dude. Then he lost weight down to like a half pound under the one twenty two mark. And they were like applauding the
0: guy. It's like, dude,
1: you're still three and a half pounds overweight.
0: I, I don't understand why this guy continually gets passes. And why did this fight even happen? I don't then? know. And Yamanaka got fucking destroyed again <laughs> in front of his people. I, you know, I, I, I don't get it. And the belt's vacant again. Wow. Louis Neary. I, 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 I'm lost. I, I don't know what to say about this fucking guy, Ken.
1: Well, the WBC has suspended him indefinitely for six months.
0: Is that right? Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Dude, dude, Steve Kim said it best. A fighter being suspended for six months is like a starting pitcher being suspended for five days.
0: Yeah. <laughs> He's okay. He's gonna have to start his training camp uh a month later than he would have for his second fight of the year. WBC, man, the
1: fang's on them. Yeah.
0: Ooh. <laughs> they got some teeth.
1: <laughs> Dude, it's like suspend the guy for two years. Who gives a shit? Suspend so him for a fucking year, all right? Dan Raphael called Mauricio Solomon, and he was like, "But he was my prospect of the year, Mauricio."
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I can't have another prospect of the year go down in fly. Yeah,
0: Verdejo and Nery, huh?
1: Why does uh, Dan Raphael sound like a fucking dying Brit? I don't know. Ken. <laughs> he must be fucking choking on that ha. <laughs> From the everlasting wrinkled tit of Hillary Clinton.
0: Oh God!
1: Little hairs on the end of that thing.
0: That is fucking foul.
1: Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Um, all right, let's go ahead and transition out of out of that segment to the fight preview. Uh, March tenth, ESPN from the StubHub Center in Carson, California. I think this is a fight fitting. Of such an arena, Oscar Valdez d- defends his WBO featherweight championship against the Lego eater himself. Then <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to work its way in. Yeah. Sorry. I stole your thunder. Scott Quigg. What
0: say <laughs> you on this one? It's going to be a fun fight. That's for sure. Uh It should be entertaining. I yeah, It's, it's, it's tough to gauge Scott Quigg. You know, I don't rate him, uh, you know, technically is that great of a fighter, but I think he is, he's tough enough. And he goes to the body enough, and he could last long enough and be able to wear Valdez's power. I mean, look, the guy had his jaw broken in, like, the fourth round against Frampton and finished the fucking fight. So I'm not going to question this guy's toughness one bit. I I think he's the perfect guy to push Valdez as far as he can be pushed. Is he good enough to win that fight? I think, you know, I don't know. The, the, The athletic advantage and the quickness advantage is so heavy in Valdez's court in this fight, you know, I think it's going to be good while it lasts, Ken, but I I think Valdez is just a little too much.
1: Yeah, I think this thing ends pretty abruptly. Um, Look, Valdez is definitely vulnerable defensively. Yeah, Um, we've
0: seen him struggle.
1: Yeah, I mean, Valdez does not mix in uh, any change-ups or curveballs. No. He is straight heaters uh, all day. And I I don't think anything's going to change against Scott Quigg. We thought Scott Quigg was going to come aggressively forward against Frampton, and it actually worked against him in that fight. Um, Not that, you know, the work that Quigg did late against Frampton, and we're talking about a fight that was quite a while ago also, then things have changed, circumstances have changed, trainers have changed. Um, But the truth is, is that if Scott Quigg decides to come with what he has to down the middle, I mean, he's not going to come from the side. Uh He's not going to come from an angle. No. To try to inflict a little bit of pain and exploit those holes in Oscar Valdez's defense, I think something happens inside the first six rounds where Quig gets clipped with one of those tiger upper punches that Oscar Valdez throws. If this thing goes deep, I think Valdez pulls it out late, you know, because Valdez's uh, you know conditioning should not be questioned. I don't think Scott Quig has the power to dispatch of Oscar Valdez unless he makes an epic mistake. Give me Valdez by sixth round knockout.
0: Ooh, ooh. I I think he carries a a very good fight for eight to ten rounds and he he kind of uh, towards the end of the fight you might see him wane a little bit and Valdez kind of much like it was in the Frampton fight kind of win the championship rounds and you may think going to the scorecards yeah this is going to be close but I think at the end of the day Valdez is going to end up winning eight seven eight rounds in this fight and and do it in a fashion where, you know, there's no questioning who the better fighter was and who won the fight.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one way or the other, Oscar Valdez is the favorite in this fight for a reason. Yeah. Um, but this could be a huge statement by Scott Quigg if he could upset the apple cart.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, look, that division, you know, you got champions that that, that hold belts in, in kind of all different universes here. Uh, Quigg can can upset the apple cart big time if he if he pulls this off.
1: Um, the same night, Vin, on Showtime. Uh, We go to San Antonio, Texas. Mikey Garcia is once again um, warped through space and weight classes (laughs) um, to the 140-pound division to square off against the IBF junior welterweight champion, Sergey Lipinets. This fight delayed for a little while. Injury by Lipinets. They say he's 100% healthy. Mikey Garcia, I'm not sure what he's doing. I'm not sure what plan he's on. He may think that he's on the Mayweather plan.
0: He's going back down to 135 after this, Ken. Cool.
1: Um, Look, (laughs) being this so-called, you know, rogue entity, this, you know, free agent of free agents that only fights on Showtime. Yeah. um, Look, Mikey Garcia's got to plant his flag somewhere. Um, going after guys that diehard boxing fans recognize to be exciting and have a potential future like Sergey Lipinets, that ain't going to get you to the stratosphere that you're reaching for.
0: No, no. I mean, look, it, to me, it appears to the, you know, the outsider looking in that uh, it's kind of strange you moved up from 135 when he's got a huge fight with either Lenars or Lomachenko that he can make for way more money. He ducking Vin, uh, You know. What what exactly is the game plan here? Because a win against Lippinets does nothing for you. I mean, dude, Sergey Lippinets has literally had fifty three total fights in his fucking career, including forty amateur <laughs> fights, thirty five and five as an amateur, and thirteen pro fights. Mikey Garcia is going to completely outclass Lipinets Is Lipinets a fun fighter? He's got a decent skill set. He's, he, he's enter- he provides an entertainment value with his style. Sure. But he is going to be fucking outclassed beyond belief. This will be a mercy, mercy stoppage at some point because Garcia will pick Lipignets apart.
1: Well, I mean, I guess Mikey Garcia could stay at 140 pounds for a while. Doesn't seem to be any uh, concerning threats on the horizon at that weight
0: class. I mean, you got Josh Taylor. You got Jose Ramirez. uh, There's not much at 140 right now. You got Progray and Ndongo. He'll fight fight Progray next. He'll fight the winner of that fight. Yeah, and look, you know, Progray's a good fighter and dongo's completely overrated and Oh
1: great does not have the skill to even step in the same ring with mikey garcia so he's explosive and, and athletic
0: to me and, and probably to you i would think now as we're talking through this it, it, it just looks like he picked the easiest division where he could quickly unify if he wants to cool awesome <laughs> thanks for thanks for fucking being a warrior mikey yeah
1: yeah staying a night and heading on to the next town that's what <laughs> mikey garcia is doing maybe josh taylor gets him ken Maybe. Josh Taylor looked good this weekend. He did. He did. You Always. Well, look, as a replacement fighter.
0: Whatever. He did what he was supposed to do. The skill level is clear as day when you watch the kid fight.
1: And I agree with you. The skill level will be as clear as day when we watch
0: Mikey Garcia versus Sergey Lipin. Yeah, it's going to be a mercy stoppage, yeah. man.
1: Yeah. Give me a fifth round knockout yeah. in
0: this one. Pick your round. I don't care when it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. Right, uh Before we head out on 196, man, got a question for you. Yeah. Did you see the face off um between Canelo and Triple G? I did. Is it me or is Canelo's hat size growing at a more profound rate than Barry Bonds?
0: Well, my hat size is growing too, Ken, but uh I,
1: you're 36 years old, then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I'm getting fatter, so, you know, that you're, tends to happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, my head was much smaller when I was 26 years old.
0: <laughs> you know? I look, I didn't I didn't pay enough attention. It might have de- been the cloth. <laughs> <laughs> I would not be fucking surprised, man. I mean, to me, we've we've talked about it before on this show. Yeah. Is it a clean sport or is it starting to be a clean sport? I guess so. Kind of. You know, Ask Gabe, then. If you're only going to test a fighter for eight weeks leading into the fight and he only fights twice a year. Boy, that sure leaves about eight months of time where they're not being tested. What was Canelo
1: doing for the two months he went MIA after the first fight, Vin? Uh, he was down in Mexico, Ken. Yeah. Eating steak. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: look, man. I, I just like
1: rabble-rousing, Vin. That's it, I, why I asked the question. It,
0: I, I can't say one way or the other, buddy. I, it would not fucking surprise me one bit if if Canelo's been on a stringent program of HGH. <laughs>
1: a stringent program of syringes <laughs> um yeah i don't know either man but i tell you what i, I look i think it was you know he's got a beard now uh, you know it's his new style he's going with the um it's kind of the half-ass uh hipster look you know <laughs> he's not willing to go like all in he'll just grow that little fucking chin strap beard from 1994 <laughs> you know yeah but now he's got the quaff, and it's looking like a fucking cinnamon rooster dude <laughs> I mean, dude, it is. It's he looks
0: like fucking Scary Spice. Oh, the cinnamon fucking rooster, I love it. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> Gallo Canelo, I love it. Um, look, man, I'm looking forward to that fight, and I'm glad that there are fights like Oscar Valdez, Scott Quigg, Mikey Garcia, uh, coming back to the ring, and that heavyweight contest we saw last night. Um, dude, boxing is 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 shaping up to have another big year. The only thing that boxing is going to have to do after this first round of of soirees is run it back with the fights that are supposed to happen in the second half and everybody will be happy. We're not always going to get every fight that we want. No, we don't always have to fucking take a big old dump on boxing for fucking it
0: up. It I mean, is fun though.
1: It is fun. Then one last thing. And this just kind of crossed my mind. Um, I'm honestly, I don't even like, I, I'm at a loss for words. Like the, the other shock that came over me today, um, when I heard that Omar Figueroa, uh, pulled out of his fight with Adrian Brunner. I mean, dude, to me, that right there kind of brings the rain cloud and puts it right back
0: on Boxing's Future. Yeah, I mean, that fight was signed, sealed, and delivered, I thought. <laughs> Who knew, Ken? <laughs> there, was, there was no chance. <laughs> uh, you know, two guys as, as you know, straight-edged and uh, as these two? You're telling me that we're not getting this fight? Dude, it was...
1: Hashtag Me Too versus hashtag Pour Me Another,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, the fact that anybody thought both of these motherfuckers were going to make 140 pounds to begin with was a joke. <laughs> I mean, this should have just been a floating scale, yeah. Anywhere from 140 to 150, we think maybe they might make it.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're like, what weight class should we put this at? <laughs> well, I think Brown <laughs> fought at 140 one day. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs>
0: Fucking Broner and Figueroa. Uh, what a fucking just sideshow clown fight that was. I'm, I'm kind of, as, as just as, as as big of a sideshow as that fight is, it uh, would have been a fun fucking night of boxing. Man.
1: Dude, just mount the cameras on the fucking fences at the state
0: penitentiary. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Let them out for fucking recess for an hour and just let them fucking brawl. Be like uh, Johnny Cash's album at Folsom Prison, right? You just <laughs> let them two fight. <laughs>
1: I'm imagining more like that hell in the cell with Mankind and Undertaker <laughs> throwing each other into the barbed wire. <laughs> Fucking Figaro is drunk as shit from the moonshine he's been brewing in his toilet in his cell. <laughs> Brother walking all bow legged from the pounder he took the night before. <laughs>
0: big john stud got him hock in
1: <laughs> oh, oh big john stud will get you
0: he separates you buddy
1: <laughs> separation anxiety man i tell you <laughs> what that's what i'm gonna have that this fight is not happening Then, yeah biggest disappointment of 2018 it's all downhill it's from ruined here. ruined gosh the one fight i was looking forward to all right then let's get out of here on episode 196 um Got to say, Deontay Wilder deserves all the props in the world. And I tell you what, man, I didn't think he had it in him.
0: No, no. And he proved it on Saturday night. Uh, I will not second guess the man anymore. No. I'm looking
1: forward to what lay ahead. Just hopefully they don't, you know, put him in a holding pattern and start rerunning. <laughs> Charles Martin was warming up in the bullpen <laughs> the other night. They're just waiting there. <laughs> Team Wilder had their fingers crossed. there, like Man, hope, hopefully Louis Ortiz's <laughs> blood pressure medication didn't kick in today. That fucking Charles was ready to rock. Oh, was he? Yes. He was brought in for a fill-in fight. He was warming up because Luis Ortiz's blood pressure was so high when they tested it before the fight. Are you fucking kidding, kidding me? I did dead, not see that. being dead serious. Holy
0: shit. <laughs> we... We had fucking cranberry juice and piss, and we almost had Prince Charles because of blood pressure.
1: I walked to earth like a god. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no more. No more. Ah, good
1: shit. Um, 196, another one in the uh, in the bank, then. Creeping towards 200 there, my friend. Yes, we are. I haven't even looked forward to see which uh, episode 200 will be on. Is it going to be Joshua Parker? Maybe. Maybe, Coach. Should be. <laughs> Should be. We'll make it happen for you. <laughs> Thanks to all of you for tuning in to episode 196 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on Boxingrant.com. I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. Follow us on Twitter, at Kenny Keith Jr., and at Vince Cummings 81. And be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play and be sure to subscribe to the Boxing Rant YouTube channel today. We'll be back next week with 197th episode of The Tale of the Tape for the post fight of Oscar Valdez versus Scott Quig, and Mikey Garcia versus Sergey Lipinets. So until next week, we appreciate all of you tuning in to The Tale of the Tape boxing podcast here on the boxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.